a revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're going to talk about what else? My favorite topic, the pelvic floor, and you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, Deb, how many more times are we going to talk about the pelvic floor? But we're going to talk specifically about tears versus episiotomies, what episiotomies are, and how one heals from both situations. So to have this conversation, we have Dr. Heather Jeffcoat. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Jeffcoat is a graduate of the Doctor of Physical Therapy program through Duke University of Medicine. She founded Fusion Wellness and Femina Physical Therapy in 2009. She's also the president of the Academy of Pelvic Health Physical Therapy and on the advisory board of the International Pelvic Pain Society. Dr. Jeffcoat is also the author of Sex Without Pain, a self-treatment guide to the sex life you deserve. It was such a great conversation. We are very like-minded in how one supports their pelvic floor and pelvic health. And she talked a lot about the different types of tears one may get from having uh, a vaginal birth. She talked about healing. She talked about episiotomies and healing from that. And we talked about ways that during pregnancy, you could start to think about how to minimize the chance of tearing during birth. A lot of it, hint, hint, has to do with birthing positions. We get into that. So I think you're very much going to enjoy this conversation and leave feeling empowered, knowing that you have choices in how you can prepare and how you can birth and recognizing that our bodies are pretty amazing. So I'm quite confident you're going to love this conversation. Before we get 
to that, I just want to give you a little bit of an announcement. So things are finally opening back up. Hooray. So we're slowly adding some in-person classes back into the studio. That said, we are still 100% committed to staying with our online classes as well. So for those either coming into the studio or taking classes online for our podcast listeners, we've got a special code YBB10, which will give you 10% off of our yoga package. Not the single classes, but our different packages. So the more yoga, I think the happier one can be. So check that out. And I look forward to seeing you either online for our yoga classes online or in person, or maybe you're switching back and forth between both. We have some people that take online some days and come into the studios the other days. So yay. I look forward to seeing you in class. What else is going on? We've got uh, a free downloadable. So if you can't make it to class, maybe, you know, a whole... 90 minute or 60 minute class is just not fitting in your life. We've got a free downloadable. So you can go to prenatalyogacenter.com and download five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. And in that downloadable, you're going to get a bunch of asanas that can attend to your five most common aches and pains of pregnancy. So if you only have 10 minutes one day, I got you covered. I got some poses for you and I hope that you'll feel better afterwards. And then last thing I want to share, our teacher training. So we are going to continue to do some online and some in person. It's kind of amazing to think how quickly we pivoted to our online teacher trainings and really how amazing they've been. And what I absolutely love is not only have we been able to continue our trainings, but we're reaching and working with people from so many different countries and parts of the U.S. that we may have not been able to work with before. And what's just so beautiful about that means that these people that may not have been able to travel to New York can bring this important work to their communities. They can be there to support people in a prenatal yoga class or postpartum class, build the resources of their community. I think the yoga work is so deep and so much more than just an asana practice. So it's just really exciting. So if you're interested in our teacher training program, go also to our website, prenatalyogacenter.com and check that out. And of course, always shoot me an email if you have any questions. All right. That is enough for me. We're going to take a super quick break and we come back. Please enjoy our conversation about tears, episiotomies, and the pelvic floor with Dr. Jeff Coat. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork baby monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo's Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Massimo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Dr. Jeff Coat. How are you? I'm so great. Thank you, Deborah, for having me on your show. 
I'm really excited to speak with you. I am a pelvic floor junkie. I've learned as much as I could about it. I had my own pelvic floor physical therapy after my first child. And anytime I can have a conversation with someone about pelvic health and healing after birth just thrills me. So thank you so much for being here. No problem. I appreciate the invite. I'm excited. So we're going to talk about tears and episiotomies and the healing and just trying to get our head around all that. I know it is often a concern for many of my students. What if I need an episiotomy? What is the healing going to be like? What if I tear? So let's dive in. But before we get to that, I would just love to know a little bit about you and how you got started on focusing on pelvic health. Yeah. So, um, I honestly, like when I went to physical therapy school, I did not even know this was an option, right? Like I, as a woman was so uninformed that this was something I could go into, but, um, through my graduate education at Duke university, they had a lot of electives, a lot of just sort of interjecting pelvic health and women's health topics into like our orthopedic lectures, for example. And so it really started to develop this interest for me, but I still, even at that point, wasn't a hundred percent sure that me, you know, if it was for me or not, I didn't go to school for this. So I started off in orthopedic and sports medicine and did that basically exclusively for a little over a year. But I just, I didn't really like the, the, setting, the practice setting of that. It's just a, it's high volume. I just felt like I couldn't really uh, connect with my patients. I just felt like I wasn't helping them. And here I just went to like a three-year doctorate program and I'm coming out and I'm not even able to use all these skills that I have. So um, at that point, one of my friends was working at a place that did pelvic health. And and I'm like, okay, well, this is not really why I went to PT school, but I sure do love this like one patient every 45 minute thing. Maybe I'll look into it. And so I took my first class. I really loved it. Like, you, you know, you take your first pelvic floor class and I don't know, it's like hard not to fall in love. <laughs> and I mean, it's just, you, you're like, how did I not know about this? It felt so empowering, you know, you're like as a woman uh, to to leave with all this like knowledge that not only helped me, but now I can, it feels like this missing link with a lot of uh, patients' care, especially postpartum. So I just, you know, took more and more classes and developed uh, uh, just a, a love for it. And that's sort of like the start to my journey. And, you know, I've been doing it, I, I would say exclusively ever since. So that's like almost 20 years, but in pelvic health, we do a lot of orthopedic stuff like hip and back issues can typically drive uh, pelvic floor issues. So I'm still always using my ortho stuff. I do orthopedic continuing education as well as pelvic health continuing education because we really have to approach pelvic health conditions as a total body condition for patients to get an optimal outcome. Yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try not to digress too much, but that is something the more and more I study pelvic health is really the kinetic chain everywhere that your SI joint hurts. It could be your pelvic floor. You could have weak adductors yeah. or dropped arches and it could be your pelvic floor. So it's, it's amazing how it all works together. 
Oh, absolutely. And I know that, you know, this talk, I think, is probably going to be more pelvic floor centric, but I think it's always worth educating people at the beginning to just know that there's so much more beyond your pelvic floor that could be contributing to your pelvic floor issues. And this is only a piece of it that we'll be talking about. Yes. All right. So, but, oh my gosh, you have my brain bubbling with thoughts. Okay. But I'm going to try to stick to topic. So, all right. <laughs> topic, tears and episiotomies. So one of the things I had heard very early, so I've been in the perinatal world for a little over 20 years. And when I started my doula career, I, and this was a while ago, I heard some care providers say, you know, if it's so much easier to repair a straight cut as opposed to a jagged tear. And I'm glad that I feel like for the most part that thinking has stopped, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, I, I guess I never really like timed like, oh, this person took four weeks, this person took six, six weeks, but I do know that it was older thinking, like exactly what you said. And that like several years ago that changed based on like actual evidence. So that's really what I more point to is what is the, the research showing, um, you know, what, what are they recommending? And, and I do know that there was a switch a few years ago that episiotomies were shown to possibly increase the risk of third and fourth degree tears, which we also call like oasis tears or obstetric anal sphincter injuries. Um, and they can increase the risk of wound infections and that it, that doesn't seem to be protective of long-term complications either in the pelvic floor, like urinary incontinence or, or pain in the perineal region. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought, oh, I'm better off having that straight cut where I, where maybe I'm avoiding more issues. But you're right. The research is saying, actually, <laughs> you could have more. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So I just, you know, go with the evidence, you know, that yeah. that's really what we can do. <laughs> what I realized I also didn't say as I talked, as I jumped into tears versus episiotomies, we, for those that might be new to this podcast or just the world of birth, we didn't really define tears and episiotomies. Do you mind doing that? Great. Yeah. So thank you so much for, for asking that. So um, we typically will define a tear as like a first, second, third, or fourth degree tear. Um, a first degree tear is a very small tear where it's basically just the, the skin of the perineum. They're, the muscles are completely intact. So that's a first degree tear. A second degree tear your pelvic floor muscles are torn, but just think of it, it's just a little bit of a tear. There's no, no involvement that goes down towards the anal sphincter. Now, when we start to get third and fourth degree tears, that's when we start to have increased incidence of bowel or fecal incontinence because we have tears through the anal sphincter and it's to different degrees. So with a third degree tear, not only are your pelvic floor muscles torn, um, but they go all the way to the level of the anus. And then those can also be subgrouped depending on how much of the external anal sphincter is torn and whether it's like your internal or your external anal sphincter. So that's more of like a medical thing, but basically it's to the level of the anus. And then a fourth degree tear is that the pelvic floor muscles are torn through the anus. And this is where people will, like if it's not cut at the beginning, they'll complain that they're like pooping out of their vagina, which should not happen because those are separate canals. Mm. So it involves the entire anal sphincter complex in a fourth degree tear, as well as like through the rectum. And those third and fourth degree tears are those oasis tears, obstetric anal sphincter injuries. Oh, and all I could think of is they must, not only is that probably very uncomfortable, they probably get a lot of um, urinary tract infections if they're having fecal matter going there. <laughs> 
Oh, I mean, absolutely. That could be a big problem. But I mean, usually they're cut. I've had like in almost 20 years, I've had maybe two patients where it wasn't that had that severe of a tear and it wasn't cut at the time of delivery. And then they had to go back in for surgery. So I'm thinking if I was a listener and I'm hearing about the first through fourth degree, I'm like, oh, first degree, okay. And second, okay. And then you're like, oh my God, third degree. So what, how often or what percentage are people, I know, and I'm just throwing this at you, so you may not know, but those mm-hmm. that have a vaginal birth, where does this lie like what percentage probably gets a first compared to a third and fourth? Oh, you know, so the third and fourth degrees are pretty rare. And I wish I knew the exact percentage, but it's more like the single digits. Like it's not like, it's not like 25% of women will, will have a, a oasis tear. Um, so it's a pretty small incidence, but I do know that they are more likely to occur with your first vaginal birth. If you have like a large baby, um, over like nine pounds, um, I think is the cutoff for that. Um, and if you have like a long second stage labor, so that's our pushing the phase where we're pushing our baby out. And then if the baby's shoulder gets stuck uh, behind the pubic bone and with um, an instrumental vaginal birth, which would be like a vacuum assisted or forceps delivery, those do significantly increase the the risk. Mm. So I, I'll make sure that I put in our show notes about different pushing positions that can also help or not so much help. So like pushing on your back with your legs way back to your armpits, that is not, especially no. if, you, if you think yeah. that you have a, a nine <laughs> plus pound baby, then the conversation needs to be, well, with that information, what other positions can I push in that's more protective of the perineum? So I'll make sure I put that in the show oh. notes. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, and that's uh, part of what we do with our birth prep program in my offices. So we, in whether or not we know they're having a nine pound baby or not, because like, you know, sometimes their patients will come in and are like, Oh my gosh, I'm 36 weeks and my baby's already measuring nine pounds. Like there's definitely some error in that. So regardless of, you know, the size of the baby and if, you know, they're, we encourage them to have talks with whoever is delivering their baby, especially if it's like hospital based, because like the home births and the midwives and the birthing centers are usually are always more flexible with that mm-hmm. uh, positioning. But like according to research, um, there is support to show that there are fewer amount of those perineal tears and, um, you know, delivering in like sideline or on yep. your hands and knees. Um, can be protective of that, uh, of the perineal area. Um, but of course, like if you've had an epidural, you are going to be more limited. Like we can definitely do side lying if you, so. Exactly. so exactly. yeah, I love you're speaking my language about let's look at other positions that are not flat on the back side lying. I love because you can have an epidural, you can get some internal rotation of the top leg. It just creates mm-hmm. a lot more space for babies. So I love that we're giving actionable tips so that if someone's like, oh my God, tears, tears, tears. Now we can say, yeah, but (laughs) there are ways that we may uh, limit uh, a little bit of the risk. So let's also then switch to an episiotomy. What is that and what happens to the pelvic floor? Yeah. So, um, so an episiotomy, just in case maybe people don't know how to define that, it's the surgical incision that your um, OB will do at the time of delivery to basically create more space of the vaginal opening. And um, that's really the only time that technique is ever done. Um, and they're 
when, if they are done, they're usually done off center because if they're done in the center and it's a large tear, then that can continue to, you know, possibly create those third and fourth degree tears. And just, and by definition, um, an episiotomy is a grade two tear. So, you know, if, if you have one, then you have at least a, a grade two tear. So great. Now we understand. Now we have kind of our language under control and now people understand the different types of tears. So if you right. have someone coming in and they're working with you, I'm guessing that someone's not likely coming in for like a first degree tear. So when are you probably seeing people like second, third, fourth? Yeah. So ideally if they've come in from our birth prep program, then they're, they're coming in, even if they have a first degree tear, because okay. just being pregnant increases your risk of, of pelvic floor dysfunction. But if they're coming in and entering postpartum for the first time, they're usually like a grade three or four. They're not necessarily coming in for a grade two tear early postpartum. Um, like I'm talking first couple months, um, they're coming in if they've had like a grade two or less, usually more if they're having like incontinence or mm-hmm. pain, like pain with sitting, painful intercourse, things of that nature. So we see them at all levels. It just is kind of where they enter in, like how far postpartum they are. So what would the healing most likely, and I'm going to say most likely, cause we know nothing's a hundred percent, but with the first and second degree tear, what is the healing process most likely for somebody? Um, uh, like how long will it take? Like what would they, what should they expect? Just, just a little tenderness oh. or oh, oh, the muscle okay. regenerates okay. In, like in a few weeks yeah. or. Well, okay. So yeah, just regarding the wound itself, um, it should be less than six weeks, like four to six weeks, uh, for a grade one or two. Um, they might have some pain with sitting. Um, it might stretch the perineum a little bit when they're sitting, they might feel the stitches. Um, you know, you do always have to watch for infection risk, whether you have a grade one or a grade four, you know, there's, if there's a cut there, there's always going to be a risk of infection. Um, so, you know, it's, it's sort of more the, the time line, I guess, you know, grade three or four, the, the tissue itself may heal in that same time frame, but they will still have long-standing problems after. So, so we have to be careful how we use the term healing. I mm-hmm. guess it's it's more in like uh, does what's called like the granulation or the healing tissue, so that okay, you don't have an open wound anymore, but your muscles are far from healed four to six weeks or even you know ten, twelve weeks postpartum. That has a lot more to go. So when you have someone, let's start again, which is like the first and second degree tear and there, the wound itself has healed. There's no, um, infection. Does that person, are they pretty much likely to have normal pelvic floor function? Do they need to start to look at regenerating muscle tone or are they pretty much good to go compared to your third or fourth degree, which we'll get to in a moment? Yeah. So, um, no, like every postpartum woman should see a like pelvic floor rehabilitation specialist, you know, pelvic PT to evaluate their muscles because being pregnant increases your risk of pelvic floor dysfunction. So even if they had a C-section, And they didn't push at all. It was an elective C-section. They are still at higher risk for pelvic floor dysfunction than somebody that was never pregnant. 
to That's actually with. something I find fascinating because like I understand like the fashion. I've had so many people say, oh, I've had a C-section. My vagina is fine. I'm like, not necessarily. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. It's not. And I mean, and there's data on like, for example, because I do so much with sexual health also. So on like the percentage of women that have painful sex on their first attempt after delivery and how many, which is almost nine out of 10 women. And the ones that were at a higher risk of having painful sex were those that had an elective C-section, a emergency C-section, or like the um, instrument assisted mm. vaginal delivery. Um, the ones that had a the least reported incidence of painful sex were those that had a natural, uncomplicated vaginal delivery. And, you know, the data that's even looking out like it's six, 12, and 18 months, 18 months later, 25% of women, um, or like 23%, somewhere on there are having, are still having painful sex. Mm. So it's you know, one in four, 18 months later. So you have to, you know, I, I guess I just, to make the point that people do say exactly what you said, Oh, my vagina is all good. Like I had a C-section and for some that might even be factoring into their decision to have a C-section because they don't want any, any, changes in the vagina, but it does happen when you're pregnant. Um, the increased load that you have to carry your, uh, of the, you know, from the baby, um, you know, that you're carrying, uh, postural changes in those last few weeks when those relaxing levels start to peak again and you get more joint laxity, your pelvic floor is working overtime, almost working nonstop. So you can really tend to develop more of an overactive or a non-relaxing pelvic floor because of these constant demands that are on it. And those don't just go away when they've been there for weeks um, or longer, depending on any pre-existing conditions you might have had or any like concurrent conditions that you may have developed, like back pain and hip pain, because as we talked about at the very beginning, how those can affect pelvic for muscle function and your ability for your pelvic floor muscles to relax or not relax. It's all dependent on multiple factors. So, um, so yes, I think like, even if they just had a grade one, they should, you know, really seek a expert in their community to see what, even though I, I didn't have much tearing, what else could I benefit from to help get me back safely to, um, to exercise or to work or whatever activities they need to get back to. Yes, yes, yes. I'm all about reminding the students that they, if it's within their means and they have it in their community, pelvic floor PT can just tell so much about what's happening and give support and things that they, like you said, might not even know, like, oh, my back is hurting or my upper back, like any part could be related back to the pelvic floor. So let's talk about healing and muscle regeneration and what you would do with somebody that has a th grade three or four tear. Yeah. And I'm really hoping that they come in sooner rather than later. Um, you know, even like while the, the wound is still healing because we have modalities, like we have red and infrared light, which helps with wound healing. So it actually can speed up the healing time. We have blue light, which helps with infection. So, um, it's like the same type of blue light they would use to, you know, in a hospital to disinfect, uh, you know, in, a, in the operating room, for example. So, you know, we have ways that we can help minimize infection and improve healing rate. Um, and those are, if, if they have a third or fourth degree tear, we're using that on them. But if they're coming really early, I'll use it on a first or second degree tear too. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, no internal work or assessment until they are cleared by their midwife or OB for an internal assessment, um, because we don't want to disrupt any healing that has, you know, yet to occur. 
And, um, you know, we, we have to kind of assess them and see what are their dysfunctions. Um, are they limited because of, you know, like maybe they're limited in strength because of, um, their muscles being really underactive. So we might need to up train or work on strengthening and like pelvic floor muscle facilitation techniques to help engage their pelvic floor. Um, or maybe their muscles are really overactive from this trauma and the body has, you know, like, like when you have whiplash, right? Like your muscles go into so maybe there's more of like an overactivity that we actually need to do uh, muscle down training or relaxation techniques prior to um, eventually moving towards strength because they will need strength. But your muscles essentially can be weak if they're underactive or overactive or somewhere in between. Like there's a whole lot of reasons your muscles may be weak, but starting with strengthening isn't necessarily the place that you start just because your muscles are weak. Because if your muscles are weak, short and tight, you're just going to make them shorter and tighter and they're going to continue to stay weak. And then that can have downstream effects um, on other places of your body, likely to other dysfunctions. I want to just highlight for everyone listening, listen to that, rewind it and listen to that again, because many care providers, and this is not a dig on them, will after your six week checkup, just say, great, just do your Kegels. And let's right. just again say short and tight. If we keep contracting, we'll get shorter and tighter. So if you're having incontinence, it can get worse. Pelvic pain yes. can get worse if we keep going yes. short and tight. Just want to yes. like stars and highlight that. <laughs> Yes. And I don't know if your show notes can include like diagrams, but you know, if anyone, you know, when you get home or listen to this at home, if you Google length tension relationship, skeletal muscle, like I know it's a mouthful, but if you do that, you're going to get a bunch of images and the images are going to look like a bell shaped curve, but it's going to immediately give you that visual of, Oh, my, um, muscles, uh, you know, on this up and down axis, this is showing the force that my muscles can produce. And this left to right axis is showing the length of my muscles. So when you're short and tight, you can see very much that you can't produce a lot of force. And when you're long and overstretched, like your abs are when you're delivering, your abs for sure get overstretched. They're also weak. And you can feel that when you get up after you deliver. You don't have good overlap of the muscles. You don't even have that good like internal feedback that the baby was providing. So it's just a nice visual to see like, oh, wow, okay, I shouldn't be doing kegels just because I might be peeing my pants. Like I can see that now. So (laughs) some people are very visual. Yeah. I'll, and I'll try to find something I can do for that. Oh, I love like you and I are very in that same set or same mindset here. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about episiotomies. We'll be right back. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. All right, so let's talk about episiotomies. So it's, as you said, it's immediately a second degree tear. And how are you finding the healing process compared to that of a regular, of an uncut tear? And how do you go about uh, working with someone with that? Well, you know, from my perspective as a pelvic floor physical therapist, I'm just doing everything I can to help speed their healing process. So I'm using my red and infrared light for the wound healing. I'm using the blue light to help minimize the chance of infection. And once the tissue is healed and I've been cleared for internal assessment, um, I'll just assess how much scar tissue is there because, you know, we all, we all form scars differently, right? So some, some people form those really thick keloid type scars. Other people, it's like a white line. It's like you had a baby, like there's just, I don't even see anything hardly. So, um, you know, but so feeling for the restrictions, um, in the scar tissue itself, uh, looking at their muscle contraction ability, their muscle relaxation ability, um, seeing if there's any asymmetries on each side, you know, is there scar tissue, on that side, could that be contributing to the fact that they can't get a good contraction? Um, are their muscles underactive, overactive? So it's whether it's a natural or uh, a natural tear or an episiotomy, I, I am doing the same thing from a physical therapy perspective. Hmm. All right. I wasn't sure. I was just wondering how, yeah, I, that was very interesting. Um, so let's talk a little bit about scar tissue. Do you, so I know when someone has a cesarean, they often do like a scar tissue mobilization massage. What are your thoughts about that for the pelvic floor? Yes, yeah, same. Because if they had a vaginal delivery with any amount of tearing, that's something that should be assessed for because that's going to limit their, their functional mobility, right? If it's really bad, it could even limit them possibly being able to use a tampon in the future once their periods come back. Um, or it might just, uh, you know, not be as severe, but can make them have pain or discomfort um, during, during intercourse, but, but sometimes those like that scar tissue, it can feel like shards of glass. So oh, when God. I say pain, like it, it can range, it could feel like, Oh, it feels like a little sore, but sometimes it feels like shards of glass or like their skin is ripping. And, you know, there's different levels of sensitivity that, that that can have just like a cesarean incision can like, you know, mamas that can't like wear pants over, over the incision because it's so sensitive, you know, so we can do desensitizing techniques more like manual manipulation techniques that can actually help to break down the scar tissue and remodel it, um, along with the adjacent muscle work that we'll do to try to get things in balance. So is this something that if someone does have scar tissue from any sort of healing, are you usually seeing it more with higher degree tears or do you see this with some, I call it skid marks, like the, like the first degree? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I definitely with those oasis tears, those grade three and fours, um, sometimes with grade two, if, if someone had a grade one, not usually so restricted, um, with that, uh, because, you know, and the tear doesn't even go into the muscle, right? right? It's just skin. So that's usually pretty, pretty minor, if anything at all. Uh, but yeah, two, three, and four, 
I definitely do. Is it something that they have to, if someone has that, are they needing to go see a pelvic floor PT for that or can they do it on their own or is it something they can be taught to do on their own? Well, I empower my patients with a home program. So mm, all of my patients know, know how to do it on themselves. Um, whether it's any muscle, uh, related issues that we find like overactive pelvic floor muscles, they'll learn how to use medical dilators to work on the, um, the muscles themselves in various ways. Um, basically applying general, orthopedic or, you know, manual therapy techniques to the pelvic floor, like trigger point releases, uh, special types of stretching to the muscles internally using the medical dilators. Um, for the scar tissue specifically, there are scar mobilization techniques that also, you know, I'm using the same mobilization techniques as someone I'd, as I'd use on someone with a C-section, as someone that maybe had like a laparoscopic procedure in their abdomen, as someone that had like a knee replacement. And if they're getting a lot of scar tissue, it's all the same technique. You just have to adapt it to the unique anatomy that is the, the perineum and the pelvic floor area. And, um, and yeah, but you can definitely do that on your own. Uh, whether or not you know, if I say, okay, like put, put your thumb in, you use a little bit of lubricant, um, thumb inside, finger outside, and kind of like, just like roll, like you're rolling like a pill, um, between your, your fingers. Okay. Yeah. There's some stuff you can do on your own. And if it's really minor, then that's fine. But your problems might not be exclusively scar tissue. They could be muscle related as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, I do know, you know, pelvic floor physical therapy, even though we are a growing profession, we're not in every city and every state Mm -hmm. (laughs) across, you know, in every country. So there would definitely be accessibility issues. Um, You know, people like me, we're out of network. So we end up being cash based and that can be financially inaccessible to some people. But even if they even just come, you know, one or two times, like we can teach them so much. And so we'll have some patients that come in for their initial visit. And then maybe they come in one or two weeks later, and then they just come in like once a month or every six weeks because they have dysfunction. They know it. They maybe have urinary incontinence. They can feel that they have like perineal pain with sitting, or they have pain with sex when they tried to resume uh, penetrative intercourse with their partner. Um, but they might have limited time and or finances and or all of the above. So we empower them with a home program and they, we teach them as much as we can teach them in the hour we're with them and they go and they work on it on their own. But there's a lot that you can do to help yourself. Definitely. I think that's so important because you said it empowers somebody to take charge of their body and then feel like they can do something that they're not a, you know, a victim of the situation. It's, it's horrible to come out of a birth and be like, Oh, now my body is just a hot mess. And to know right. that they can work with someone. And then I was, I worked with the pelvic floor PT after my first birth. Now we were talking about episiotomies and how they're old fashioned. So I had a home birth and there was one point when I was pushing and my home birth midwife said, do you want me to cut an episiotomy? And in my thoughts, I'm like, oh my God, where are we in the situation that a home birth midwife is oh asking boy. me? Because like, <laughs> I think I yelled, can't you just pull him out? Um, so so <laughs> my pelvic, oh, you know, even though it was such a, a long birth, I didn't have anything more than what she, that's how I got the idea of the skid mark. Like it was very superficial. He was eight pounds. I pushed for five hours and I was so fortunate. I did not have 
big tearing. I was shocked. Wow. But that said, so I went to see a pelvic floor PT because when one pushes for five hours, it definitely affects uh, everything. And it yeah. was great that she gave me stuff I could do at home on my own. And I think a lot of people like knowing that they can do stuff on their own. They don't have to just wait for their appointments. I found it empowering and it really, it, it made me more confident about the healing process. So I'm glad that you give people an at-home program. Yeah, it's a big, basically staple in my practice, myself, my therapist, like on someone's first visit, our goal is that they leave with something to do because as much as we, you know, they'll still improve if they come in and see us every week, it's, it's going to take more time if they're not doing something on their own. Yeah. So let's talk about at what point is something, is it so severe that wouldn't someone possibly their, their tear or their, they're not healing well or whatever. The tear is so severe that they may need surgery or it's not recommended. They even have a second vaginal birth. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I know I've had that question before and it, and I'm always like, Oh boy, like you're literally asking me if you should deliver vaginally again because of that. And like, whether you should even get pregnant again, like because of like the trauma you're associated with that delivery. But, um, you know, once a, even a severe repair is, uh, a cheat or I'm sorry, a repair of a severe injury, like that third or fourth degree tear. The research says that most women can safely deliver vaginally in a future pregnancy. So, um, if that's really their, um, like that's what they want in their birth plan, then, then that is what the, um, the literature shows, um, the risk of getting that third or fourth degree tear is a, a little bit higher than, um, previous, like then the overall risk of having one with your first pregnancy, but it's still like in the single digits. And again, maybe I can like find those numbers for you that you can post after, mm-hmm. but it's not, it doesn't give you like a 20% risk or it's, it's really low. It's, it's really low. So I don't think that even with a severe injury that, and as long as it was repaired properly. Right. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of the big if, um, And that, uh, I did see that, you know, if you're considering a cesarean section, that it's, there's a certain number of cesarean sections that would happen, um, that would, before there would be another, like, obstetric anal sphincter injury, though it's just terror. Like, it's like, basically, they wouldn't recommend it because it's, you know, if you, if you want to have a vaginal delivery, have a vaginal delivery. So, um, it's not necessarily supported in the literature to prevent, um, oasis tears. I mean, as, as, a C-section will prevent them, I guess, but if your goal is to have a vaginal delivery, it's not, um, contraindicated to, to do so. So let's talk about, we kind of dipped into this a little bit ago, but if someone wants to minimize their chance of tearing, what suggestions do you have for pregnant folks to think about prior to giving birth and then incorporate in the birthing process? Right. So we did talk about the, um, the birthing positions in the mm-hmm. beginning. So other things that we do in our birth prep program is identify while they're pregnant, if their pelvic floor muscles are already showing signs of overactivity. Um, and, you know, 
There, there are signs of pelvic floor overactivity, but it is muddled with the fact that you have like a baby's head probably pushing on your bladder, but like a, you know, ur- urinary urgency and frequency, um, urinary incontinence, painful sex. Like those are some signs and symptoms of an overactive pelvic floor. And so through a like internal muscle assessment, intravaginal assessment, we can also, um, look for and sense like whether or not those muscles are stretching like they should. Is there pain associated? with the stretch and we're stretching. I mean, we're very gentle. Like I I wish I could tell you like how many pounds of pressure, but it's, it's light pressure. And if they're having pain to very light pressure, um, their pelvic floor is, you know, showing signs of overactivity. So, um, what we would want to teach them if that's the case, our signs or I mean, our exercises for pelvic floor muscle relaxation. So um, starting with breathing, educating them on the connection between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. And I don't know if like you've covered this on previous podcasts or not, but I covered when... every single yoga class because diaphragm, oh, pelvic okay. floor. And I'm, I'm just so happy you're saying this. Like there's a smile. I'm like, yes, that is my language. There's that relationship. So keep going though. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, repetition is a great form of learning too. So there you go. Um, so when you inhale and your lungs fill with air, your diaphragm drops or descends and synergistically with that, your pelvic floor should drop or descend. So using that visual of like inhaling, breathing down into your pelvic floor, feeling that pelvic floor relaxation. Um, I'll have patients do this on their birthing ball a lot of times if they have one so that they can feel that like drop and push. And it's not a strain. It's just happening passively through Mm -hmm. the inhale, but getting that connection of um, pelvic floor muscle relaxation through the inhale. Um, I will teach them how to use those medical dilators, like I mentioned a little bit ago, um, to start working on their overactive pelvic floor, doing trigger point release, doing intravaginal stretching, doing like perineal massage, all with the medical dilator and helping them optimize how they're doing that technique so that they can length, like just get more passive length in their muscles to prepare for delivery. Um, yeah. And then going over birthing positions. Yeah. I think those are like the, those are the sort of the keystones, breath work, positioning and intravaginal Work. That's such great advice. I'm so glad that you're, again, we were, I've been obsessed. I think you can tell with the pelvic floor, but we talk about every class, but the more and more we can hear that because again, I don't ever think it's out of malice, but so many people say, Oh, you're pregnant. Just keep doing your Kegels, Kegel, Kegel. And we can just keep getting tighter. And then, and I also really appreciate that you said the passive inhale helps lengthen because I've also heard people say like, try to puff out through your perineum or add a little bit of pressure. And that makes me worried about that downward pressure that we don't necessarily want on the pelvic floor. Um, so I'm glad you, t- you mentioned the passive part. Yes. And that way, um, you know, yeah, just knowing, cause I guess there is always that, I mean, I talked to them about pushing too and avoiding purple pushing yeah. as like, I call it, I, I mean, I didn't coin that phrase, but, um, you know, not like, not holding the breath, not doing that Falsalva technique where you're, um, holding your breath. And so just helping them sort of like breathe down into it. And if they, if they're practiced with it for weeks leading up to, then it'll be better, easy to implement at the time. So it just becomes part of what they do a couple times a day. 
Okay. When it's it's one on one. Maybe yeah, I'll record it one day. But yeah, it's all like our one on one individualized. <laughs> it's so important. Right now. Oh, it sounds like you're doing such great work. Okay, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, if you would like to offer one tip or final piece of advice for new and expectant parents, it can be anything about anything that you want to share. We'll take a super quick break. We'll be right back. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. So what is one final tip or piece of advice you would like to share? So I think that, you know, my patients, they know their bodies and they know when there is something wrong. So I think from the beginning, you need to not be afraid to advocate for yourselves and don't let your provider, don't let your mom, your sister, don't let your friends normalize what has happened to you. If you are showing any signs of pelvic floor dysfunction, then the research shows that those don't get better over time. Women that are peeing their pants five months postpartum are still peeing their pants five years postpartum, the same percentages. So you need to just be proactive on getting yourself um, back on track and don't let anybody tell you that what is happening to you is just a normal part of pregnancy or delivery because you can be helped. Yes. And you don't want to have it affect your whole quality of life. So that is really, it does. It does yeah. We don't yeah. want that. So that is really, really, really good advice. Because I hear so many students say, oh, it's just going to heal. This is just part of it. Oh, this is just part of being a parent. I'm like, no, 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 no. So that is great advice. Now, where can people find your work? So, um, I am Los Angeles based and my website is feminapt.com. And, um, I'm also on Instagram and TikTok at the lady parts PT. And then, um, you can follow my private practice or on Instagram at Femina PT. So I'm kind of like every place you might want to, you could look, there I am. <laughs> and then I believe you also have a promo code for your book. Am I correct about that? Yes. So I did write a book on, it's, it's a self-treatment guide because again, I'm so proactive with people having things that they can do on their own at home. So it's called Sex Without Pain, A Self-Treatment Guide to the Sex Life You Deserve. And it's basically how to properly use medical dilators, which will give you um, like a faster route to helping with overactive pelvic floor muscles. And those techniques can overlap and help with scar tissue sensitivity as well, although I don't talk about that in my book. But painful sex, as I talked about during our show, is it's a big problem postpartum. So it really allows a way for um, for women to be empowered to to help themselves get, get that, their sexual health back. Yeah. So that can also, 20, I was going to yeah. say that could also affect quality of life as we're talking about. So, oh, that, that's a whole other side discussion. <laughs> yeah. Sexual health discussion, but, um, it's, it's a 20% off with code PYC 20. Um, and 
on sexwithoutpainbook.com. So that's for a PDF download. If you want a print book, you can get that on Amazon. So I will make sure that code is also in the show notes. Ooh, I'm going to have some, some long show notes. I'm going to see if I can get the, um, <laughs> the visuals that you said. I'm a very visual person too. So I'll send you what I find or you can send me an idea what you, what you think I should post either way. But this has been such a great conversation. I am just so thankful for how open you were with offering all of your knowledge. So thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. Deborah, this has been such a great talk. Thank you. I love talking with like-minded <laughs> <laughs> pelvic floor individuals. So this thank, you. thank you. <laughs> this has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.